0: those bleeds in five days
1: so so hay fever is not going well for you aaron
0: i'm not enjoying hay fever i used to look at people who got it and go oh for the love of all that's holy just man up how bad can some irritating pollen really be it's microscopic surely you can take it right
1: I'm um, okay um broken all listeners i've just hit the record button because aaron we were just like doing the standard uh, what, I, what I believe is known as a well-being check-in. Um, is that what it's called? Is- a well-being check-in, where, where you start the meetings, like So how is everybody doing? Aaron, how are you doing? And apparently you've got hay fever. Now, as someone who kind of accepted his hay fever in around about 1986, when as an 11-year-old, he was taken to play with the rest of his classmates on Primrose Hill, right, where the Timothy grass was... I'd say like thigh high, but it's probably waist high and quite literally my entire face swelled up like i have been punched in thoroughly on the nose. Um, Was
0: was this primrose hill back when primrose hill was called that because it still grew primroses on it and cockney flowers? No, because they'd
1: uh, covered it in timothy grass, which is like one of the most allergenic things out there. Basically, what you're suffering from is not in fact hay fever, Aaron, It's, uh, it's global warming. So um, oh. there is the northward march of Timothy grass, I imagine, which is, I the see. which is the grass with the much more slender stems. Yes. So you know, the, the, the thing that kind of wraps around itself and produces like quite tough, kind of grassy that I think that's different grass and you get that the further north you go. So one of the best cures I ever found for hay fever was in fact going to the Isle of Skye where they don't have that particular type of grass.
0: Right, and 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 so basically, you now live on the Isle of Skye, and occasionally come back to meet your wife and children halfway, like at Birmingham, somewhere like that. No,
1: I um, <laughs> I I take a lot of drugs, Aaron. I take a huge amount of drugs.
0: Do we um, need to talk about this? Is this about to be a, a Lance Armstrong Oprah moment, which actually casts no, because, the role, the cast okay, the role right. of Oprah.
1: Okay, I right. Let, let's. Oh, we're getting slightly off topic here because the first thing I said to Aaron is we've got a lot of serious stuff to talk about but let's talk about about this one I take fexofenadine the days when it's really bad which is a right. tablet and is available over the counter so it probably doesn't have a great deal of performance enhancing effect it's a antihistamine it's one of the latest ones it shouldn't make you that drowsy you can buy it from boots Fexofenadine. it's good okay I also take mometasone which is a nasal spray, genuinely really good stuff does help a lot. So these days, typically, I don't get running nose, I just get itchy eyes. Yeah. And I do take an inhaler all the time to keep my asthma under control, which is both triggered by grass pollen and by breathing. Okay. Um, Now, this one does have a molecule in it that's a bit like salbutamol, which is the thing that Chris Froome didn't quite get done for and may have like fatally hole below the waterline the entire principle of um, well, the entire principle of anti-doping as it stands which is the strict liability rule that yeah. is like if it's in your bloodstream if it's in your urine you're guilty and we don't care he actually managed to turn around and said, there's a possibility that it could have been in my bloodstream, it could have been in my urine at those concentrations, but it wasn't actually my fault. Therefore, you can't convict me. And he was I think the second or third and certainly the most famous person who did that, which really does it, it really on the legal precedent, it really, really screws things up.
0: Yes, I think. Um, I mean, there are a couple of points that I could come back on. I, I thought that you were going to say what you need to do, Aaron, is not take these things. I thought you were going to say what you need to do, Aaron, is just man up basically, which no, is no, no, don't.
1: Do. I mean, basically, four weeks of your summer will be utterly miserable.
0: The last fortnight of my summer has been utterly, utterly, utterly miserable. I've literally been putting my head in buckets of cold water, going, Oh, for God's sake, please wipe all the pollen away. Um, yeah. I I sneezed so hard during a conversation with the girls that Charlotte went, dad, yes, you've got a nosebleed. And I spent the, I spent the next two hours walking around like that while teaching how to reduce fractions. Um, it it can be done. So it hasn't been a huge amount of fun, but I thought the man up thing might have come in. The, the shop bought antihistamines so far have not put a dent in it. And I've been, um, eating, been eating them like Smarties.
1: That's probably why you wanted to go back to bed. You, you've got three types. You've got fexapenadine, you've got loratidine, you've got searchrazine. Try different ones, see which works for you. Um, unfortunately, typically the ones that work best are also the ones that send you to sleep, uh, which is a complete bummer. Also try the nasal spray. That's there funny. we go. Free piece of advice from a long time you know, uh, sufferer of hay fever for anyone else trying to race through the racing season with this the really good thing for rowing is that typically once you get going in a rowing race within about adrenaline clears the whole clears yeah. the sinuses up it's really really good so you can be like sneezing watery eyed god awful four strokes into a 2k piece you're like i can breathe it's brilliant I can. except then you're just going to spend like whether it's on the water or on the rowing machine, you're just going to spend like loads and loads of time snorting great gallons of air containing huge amounts of pollen into your nose. Yeah. And so your symptoms are just going to be so much worse for the next um, kind of like four or five hours is like the snot clears it out.
0: Huge amounts of snot to the to the point where I've considered just collecting it in jam jars to see that if it grows into a new life form. There's been <laughs> gallons of this. I, snot. Um, I know which, it's so shocking. Yes. So yes, Broken Nose Podcast. We make you go faster legally. um There you go. Uh, yeah. Oh, the, oh yeah. Can, can I actually
1: add a serious point on this one? The salbutamol thing as yeah. a performance-enhancing drug. As someone who has been a very keen athlete in endurance sports for the past 25 years. I think that's fair. And has genuinely been interested in trying anything. I mean, literally anything legal that will make him go faster.
0: I'm glad you put the legal bit in there. But yes, yeah, no,
1: no, literally, um, as far as I know, I have never cheated anything. The big ones that people are kind of talking about, which is hydrocortisone. So basically, And serious anti-inflammatories, not none of your shop-bought antihistamines, but your serious anti-inflammatories that they give you when you're dying of asthma. They they don't do anything for me. I mean, literally, I I've I've tried them, I've tried rowing on them, and it's like nothing. is, Is it because you know I've been prescribed them, and I've gone rowing while I've had them, or gone on the rowing machine? Nothing. Salbutamol, same, exactly the same, nothing. Doesn't even touch the sides, so I think it work. It might work for some people, might not work for the other people. But when you see somebody huffing on like a blue inhaler at the start of the race, they're not. They're not necessarily getting an advantage. They're just trying not to choke to death halfway down the course
0: which we've all done and 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 sometimes we've done it psychologically sometimes we've actually doesn't we've done it physiologically the strict liability thing and we are coming to the important stuff that we want to talk about although I have no idea what it is I'm just here cuz Lewin said you fancy a chat um there is currently a boxer i don't know if you're aware of this called connor ben oh yes yes god he screwed system. that
1: one up didn't he
0: yeah so two so two return tests for clomiphene in his system um He's, he's saying he's about to fight again, but UCAD, UK Anti-Doping and the British Boxing Board of Control haven't weighed in on it yet. And under strict liability, unless, I, unless I've been reading the UKAD website wrongly, he's looking at at least a two-year ban. But he's talking about boxing in Saudi under a different license, which brings in all sorts of regulatory issues. Will his promoter then be sanctioned by the board? Will his opponent be sanctioned by the board? Will they lose their licenses and not be able to operate in Britain anymore, which would be interesting for Eddie Hearn and Matchroom. But the strict liability thing, Chris Froome kind of got round it. And I kind of looked at him because I, th- I looked at all cyclists at that point and went, yeah, it's a dirty sport. You probably did something. Um, sorry if Chris Froome's lawyers are listening. Um, please send the bill to me I, I
1: just think i think they've got like a massive list of people who've said things on the internet and it just grows longer every day than people they like, i think they might sort of like cross-reference it with like disposable income and say yeah he might actually be worth suing that guy. he
0: might be worth in which case we're fine but yeah <laughs> honor ben seems to be going no i'm gonna fight again just by saying no i'm gonna f- i'm innocent i'm going to fight again he hasn't he hasn't produced any evidence that he ate Plomerphine tainted eggs, which is impossible because it's not used in egg production in this country. And he was based in the UK at the time. He said that the board has got it in for him, which doesn't really sound like a regulatory body, to be fair. It's not really their job to have it in for people, it's their job to regulate. But it does seem like there's this thing of strict liability in this country, which I think we both agree is a good thing. But then with social media and trying to create your own narratives, there's an attempt being made here to push back against it in much the same way that Froome did. It, do you go
1: know, do you know what clomiphene's is
0: used for? It's a fertility medication um for children who are for, for sorry, for women who are trying to conceive. Yes. But it it's used as a masking agent and it can also boost testosterone on its own account. Is that right? Have I yeah, done it? Not, it's not
1: so much the I don't think it um boosts testosterone um it hang on where, where are we society and culture
0: i thought it could be used to boost t- test in, in in certain
1: i think reasons. what it does it suppresses the um it suppresses the uh aromatization of testosterone so it means that some of your testosterone will be turned into estrogen if you are a manly man and um that will uh and uh if you kind of like don't have that happen you'll have slightly more testosterone i think it's also used to um deal with the side effects of taking exogenous testosterone which is that lots of that exogenous testosterone gets turned into estrogen and can give you boobs don't do drugs wow. kids
0: right so and i'm not commenting on connor ben's case here but i actually am really um so basically he's <laughs> he's tested positive for this twice it's a vada test oh that was one of his lines it's not a it's not a varda test it's a vada test therefore it's invalid well vada is pretty much a gold standard testing unit i think um so if he had been taking something else and he wanted to maximize its impact he would also take clomiphene to prevent that other substance being um from uh,
1: giving him dodgy side effects namely giving him
0: dodgy side effects yeah okay so yes it's just come to a really weird point in sport now where i don't know if you saw lewin but a british sprinter either broke or equaled linford christie's 100-metre um, record, 9.83 seconds. Zarnell yes. Williams, I think it was. Zarnell um, Hughes. Yeah, Zarnel Hughes. Sorry, Zarnel. And rather than look and go, well done, fantastic, that must be the must be the outcome of decades of work and timing and opportunity and pathway and coaching, and I just kind of look at it now and go, yeah, I, yeah, no. I just don't believe in the magic anymore of sport. I do in some cases, which we'll come on to, small regattas. I believe in the magic oh, of small regattas.
1: It, in, indeed. But it's, I mean, no, honestly, I kind of, um, admittedly, <laughs> for a time, I still believe in Chris Froome. So, so this isn't particularly like, but I, I, I still believe in rowing. I still believe in rowers.
0: I believe in um, rowing and rowers, I think rowing and rowers are things you can believe in because they're full of people unless they come from the Heddington Road Young Offenders Institute who tend historically in this country not to take things and not to cheat
1: um yeah um because we have a culture that doesn't talk about drugs all the time so let's stop talking about drugs.
0: Yes let's move oh, on to yes. the rowing. so, so well, moving, moving on to, to rowing
1: um now what we we going to talk about first?
0: Why don't we talk about them? Because there is a small regatta about to kick off down in the south. I think we should talk about the magic of small regattas first, all over the UK. And I would like specifically to talk about Hexham Regatta.
1: Go on. T- t- tell me about Hexham Regatta. How, so, how how far do you have to row in Hexham Regatta?
0: It's about seven hundred and fifty meters, but it feels an awful lot more now that I'm old. It feels much much longer now that I'm older. So for those of you who don't know, which is largely Lewin because he lives in the south and doesn't get much past Watford, um, Hexham is a small town in Northumbria, which is God's own country. And I don't care what anybody in Yorkshire wants to say about it. Uh, It has a river. It has an old bridge over the river. It has a massive weir that the city fathers put in. And between the weir and when the river kind of bottoms out and becomes a natural river, there's about 750 metres of absolutely glorious water that looks straight until James is steering for you and you decide to go and check out the far bank.
1: Oh, well, okay. Right. Hang on. So I'm, I'm looking at Hexham here. Yeah. So first of all, uh, zoomed out, zooms out. Oh my God, that's north. That's proper north. That's in between two areas of outstanding natural beauty that have got like cheap houses.
0: That's one way to talk about Dan Armstrong, who comes from Hexham, but I'm not sure he will appreciate it. Um, that, 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 is it
1: one of these places? Is Hexham one of these places? It's kind of like Chester. It's it, gorgeous. It's, like it's a southern embassy in the <laughs> north.
0: Southern, yeah, like Durham. It's a it's a southern <laughs> it's one of
1: these places. It's absolutely gorgeous, absolutely beautiful. It's full of people who come from Surrey.
0: It's stunning. It's stunning. It actually has a Conservative MP. It is that far imbricated in the South. Um,
1: it is! It's,
0: it's, a con-
1: it's a Southern Embassy.
0: It is. Like, like is Durham is an, is, an, is an outpost of the home counties for people who didn't get into Oxford or Cambridge. Hexham is stunningly, stunningly... I, I grew up there. Dan Armstrong obviously grew up there as well. It is a place of gently folded hills and green fields and leafy woodlands and a, and a quite fantastic river. And um, it's really, really rich farming country. And it's just gorgeous. It's an absolutely gorgeous little market town in in Northumberland. So, and, they yeah. have, and they have a regatta every year. Hexham Rowing Club has a regatta. And, and I've never done it, largely because it, it always takes place on the same weekend as Wallingford. And we were always doing Wallingford, and also Dennis we, we, wouldn't send us that far north because the boats wouldn't come back; they would be eaten by Picts.
1: <laughs> so, hang on do you do you do you race above the the weir or below it?
0: Above the weir, you can't race below the weir because it's a proper river with rocks and and rapids okay. and shallows and things in in there.
1: And and would I would I be right right in saying that? is it one of these things that you've got to come come to a stop pretty sharpish are you going over the weir
0: yeah you know that thing at, at dorney and at other races where you hit the line and you can just kind of slump in a relaxed fashion yeah over you. you can't do that at Hexham because yeah. you, you hit the line and your bow or your two person then shouts hold it up otherwise you will literally james bond it over the end of a 20 foot weir it's fantastic fun racing
1: it's one of those things that if I was in like Masters I or Masters J, one of those like very senior categories, and I didn't think I was gonna make it back next year, I'd be like, I'd be tempted to go for it. Just like, yeah. go on, just straight over, you know, full James Bond it. Just yeah. to see, no, I'm, just I'm, to see if, you
0: can, if you can stick the landing on the other side.
1: Is Hexham a ridiculously sporty place? Because I'm, I'm looking at it, you've got, you've got an athletics track. Yeah you've got a cricket
0: club yeah you've probably got a tennis club tennis club you've also got a race yeah. course
1: um
0: yeah
1: You're no no you've got a, a race course race course um yeah, it looks a, like you they, have an 18 hole golf course
0: 18 hole golf course uh, in it, fact there's, there's another one just outside of town there's one in there's one in town as well okay it, it is basically what you get if you take Henley and you you keep the same starting letter of the name and you put it in the northeast?
1: It it is. It's the Surrey Embassy.
0: It's 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 an it's an it's a southern outpost in a in a northern world. Brilliant. But, but here's the thing. I've obviously never done it before. Tiny United do tend to do it, so I thought, well, I'll I'll support the club and we'll go up and we'll you know we'll lash up and down the course. We did our usual Tiny United thing of not actually training for it, but just actually selecting crews the week before. So, um, you know, the idea of working on start patterns and how we're going to stride, it was just, no, let's just rip the living buggery off it. Okay. The weird thing was, I drove up with James, who I was rowing with um, from Tyne United, and we got to Hexham Regatta, and we turned, we turned, you know, right over the bridge to park, and there was a horse, very large horse. It looked like a very large and nice cart horse, and then there was a donkey, and then there were two Shetland ponies, and as we drove further to find a space, among all the trailers, there were... There were hunters and there were Welsh cobs and there were there were literally hundreds of horses there. And me, in my naive, imbecilic post COVID my brain doesn't work innocence, thought, Oh, that will be the the horse owners of Hexham bringing all their horses down to the race course to give them a trot on a Saturday morning. Until James well, very kindly muttered, it's Appleby Aaron. And you know what Appleby is, of course, I Aaron.
1: don't because I'm I'm from sorry. I'm not much. actually from Surrey. I'm I'm from like Tufnell Park in North London, but never mind. But uh, just a, pretend yeah. I'm from Surrey.
0: I'll pretend you're from Surrey because because it all blurs into one once you get past Basically. essentially Leeds. Um, so Appleby is the annual uh, Travelers Fair in Cumbria. It it has a long historical tradition. Uh, it has a long historical historical tradition of being the the Travelers Fair. It has a long historical tradition of being quite full of of. of, of, of it's the place where any disputes that traveler families have, they tend to settle them at Appleby with fists and fighting. Uh, it has, um, the, it, it has the track where people race and trot their horses up and down and all of those kind of things. So essentially everyone, every traveler in the country was making their way North to Appleby and the okay. ones that were coming over from the Northeast and heading that way, it, they were working their way across country over the week, had decided to park up at, um, at, at Hexham Park, basically overnight on their way. So the reason why there were all those horses there, as I began to notice the caravans and the Bentleys and the top of the Range Range Rovers littered around, was because the travellers were on the way to Appleby. So the thing was, there's no warm-up at Hexham. There's a lane that lets you get to the top, but you can't practice starts on it, as we found out and Nelly got disqualified for yeah. practicing starts on it. But you will literally be paddling up Past a bare-chested gypsy man who is who is washing his horse in the water next to you as you're going up um, with soap and water. And then you race back down past them. And then, and then they were trotting them along the edge of the weir to cool their hooves. Cause as, as my aunt who 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 does a lot with horses says, this is real laminitis weather. So they were, they were literally riding them bareback along the edge of a, of a massive weir. You know, so you're kind of racing down and finished and there's, there's these horses literally waiting their turn to go and cool their hooves at, at the bottom. It was really picturesque.
1: I I, I think, I, ladies and gentlemen, um, we're uh, we at Broken Oars, we do not, we famously, um, unlike some famous sporting podcasts, do not demand payment for our services um, no, as minor broadcasters. But should you choose to be so immensely grateful for this, frankly fascinating, and if you if you actually go on Google Maps while Aaron's talking and look up all these places, it's brilliantly interesting. And the North Pennines looks fantastic, by the way. Um, but should you choose to be enormously grateful for this introduction, this cultural introduction to the north of England? Um, we do have a uh, a buy us a coffee function, where you can uh, give us a small donation of um, anything between five and fifty pounds. I think even less than five pounds. Um, so that would be that would be very gratefully received. I'm I'm sitting here and I'm absolutely gobsmacked by this. Apart from the fact that Hexham looks ridiculously nice, it's gorgeous. I, I I'm, I've also looked up Appleby in Westmoreland, on the other side of the pennines, which also frankly looked quite nice. Um, I'm not I'm not sure what kind of the Appleby celebrants would make of someone who described Applebee as looking frankly quite nice. Um <laughs> but it might be a good thing to find out. Um well, yeah, so that's yeah, well, that, that's brilliant. Here's my well, thoughts. I've David, just really I, enjoyed that.
0: Here's my thoughts. So so first thing. I think as our Northern correspondent, I think I should go to Appleby next year. Now, this is not an invitation for you to remember me fondly at the funeral when you can't find my body. My Uncle Mark, who is not a traveller, tends to go every year because it's a really good place to buy horses. And my Uncle Mark collects horses in the same way that certain musicians of my acquaintance might have more than one guitar, because even though they've all got six strings, they all sound different. Um, this is very important to remember. It is. It is. It's. It's the reason why my sister, God bless her, and her wonderful partner, who, who, uh, François, who is French, as the name probably suggests, now has over twenty-one guitars and counting, and that's not counting the banjos, mandolins, bazookis, bass guitars, cellos, and violins that he's picked up because they all sound different. They do. Uh, but there you go. So I, I thought I might, I, I would really like to see this one. As I don't want to be one of those um, upper-class people before the First World War who went round to Somerset and collected all of the songs, you know, the people who founded Cecil House, the, um what do you call it, the Folk Society. I don't yep. want to go there with a notebook and go, oh yes, very, very interesting. This is how an arranged marriage between traveller families takes place with teenage you know sons and daughters. I just want to go and experience it because it might be an interesting thing to experience. But I'm thinking, Lewin, that as you and I haven't rowed together for a while, indeed haven't probably seen each other for a while, we should maybe do a Jack Beaumont and start looking at some of these smaller regattas and heads over the next year and I'll come down to yours for a couple and then if we can get your passport sorted, we'll try and get you up for a couple.
1: I I think that would be an exceptional idea. I'm, I'm going to recommend that you stop asking around and bring yourself down to dance and dashes. And we will do a double then okay. da- da- dancing we'll do a master's double, just uh, sort just do an open double. It's like, it's, <laughs> I, I worry too much about winning these things. And it's like, it's, it's about time I got my ass handed to be on the plate by a couple of t- teenagers from Maidstain and Victor. Um, yeah. Dance and dashes is great. Um, in, in Gravesend in Dagenham um on will, a on a tiny little dammed in river it's uh it's a fantastic race
0: i will happily come down for dancing dashes that sounds like a plan we haven't actually been in a boat together for a long time but we do this all the time at tux does anyone fancy doing a race yes go on then off you go should we train no you've got plenty of time between the start between boating and the start line to introduce yourselves to one another what about a start pattern just get hold of it and give it some beans. Yeah, um
1: half half three quarters go
0: yeah basically
1: or, or or as people described um the 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 famous canadian export ben johnson's start pattern stand up and start running <laughs> <laughs> i think that's brilliant it's like what would you do in the start stand up start running works
0: basically um, um so the other thing i think we should talk about and i'm going to throw this out there now the other small regatta that's currently taking place is, of course, Henley Royal Regatta, which I'm sure you, that will get. On, to. Hang on, hang
1: on. But Hexham isn't the only regatta you've been to recently, and I've got another hour before like kids start walking through the door, and I've actually got to do something intelligent. And
0: oh well, in which case, I would like so
1: to. Give, Durham. I
0: think, yeah, I went to Durham as a commentator, and I think our future lies in commentary. I do too. Um, largely because it's immensely funny to watch an elite scholar go into the bank within three (laughs) strokes and then try to say something polite and interesting about it. But being serious, I'd just like to say thank you to everyone at uh, Durham Regatta for inviting me along. In fact, inviting us along and inviting Jack and Andy Hodge along to do our our much-vaunted Broken Oars, London Youth Rowing. Jack Beaumont Does the UK Quad. I went down to commentate and it's really enjoyable it's a lot harder than you think though even with a spotter kind of passing you the next crew off the start line and and what have you it's it's a it's an interesting one to do
1: is it is it actually quite stressful just thinking so hang on hang on i've got a it's not just that i've got to come up with something clever to say about the next kind of like masters f ladies double heat Semi-final. I've actually then got to come up with something clever to say about the club after that and the club after that. And
0: yeah, well, I I took the approach, um, having listened to some of the commentaries on on Henley Henley Women's Regatta, which we'll get to. I firstly took the approach that it was really important to try and get the pronunciations of the of the of the, of the crews and the and the clubs and the places right. Um, which isn't too bad because a lot of them were from the northeast. But I also took – did you do Durham Regatta with us at Agecroft?
1: Uh, No, never did.
0: Right. So it is essentially the the Henley of the north. Like Hexham, it's the Henley of the north. We have a lot of Henleys of the north, and none of them are actually Henley. They're just places in the north that are a bit posh. Um, The whole town turns out. So it's not just a rowing audience. You get everyone from the from the local estates, from the the surrounding villages, from you know, coming down from where I live in Rowlands Gill or from Tyneside. It's it's two it's two days out for the whole family. So you have all of the schools there with all of the marquees, you have all of the Durham colleges there who are boating from the colleges and heading up up river you haven't if you've never done it dear listener and you have a a crew that wants to do well at henley it is an amazing place to come and groove your starts because it's only about 800 meters um but it's really fast and furious and frantic racing but so i took the approach that well there's a lot of rowing people here i can see them walking around sweltering in blazers and ties because durham is that kind of place but there's a lot of people who've just come down with a picnic because it's a nice day out on the riverbank so I started talking in the way that we do on the podcast about um, start patterns. Um, well, how, you know, the importance of a good start pattern, what you're looking for, what X crew had just done really well, what Y crew as is, is, might want to look at, or oh, rather than being my usual judgy self and going, call cool, that a start, couldn't pull the skin off a rice pudding, or I've seen... I've seen better starts with me in the morning without coffee or any of the any of that stuff. It, I was very very positive about everyone, but I I started talking about the start and the transition and and what that looks like going down the course and even though it's a short course how you're still looking to get into a rhythm and why syncing up at the back end is important and those kind of things.
1: I I'm positively looking forward to this. I am I I, I think that um i'm i'm going to go and badger lee to let me go and commentate on their regatta that, think... that that's another good one that that's right at the end of summer in london easy to get to
0: yeah and i I'm think I, I think you'll re- you'll really enjoy it and i think they'll welcome you with with open arms um i probably could have done another stint at at durham because they they basically want people to come along and commentate And the the weird thing is because everyone is charging down the track at Durham, it means that once you finish your race, you end up with 20 or 30 boats kind of milling around, waiting for a space in the calendar to, to come back up. And in those spaces, you can do some of the things that I did, like lead the crowd in a chorus of the Bladen races while we're waiting for another race to start um or talk about the fact that i'm a commentator i can't be bribed but if anyone would like to send uh, myself and, and my co-pilot ben who was spotting for me some ice cream that would be gratefully received uh it's just it's the other thing and i, I noticed this when i was out in the launch with dan a few weeks ago when you're outside of the boat and you you are above the water level a bit as i was in the tower. You can really see the difference between a well-drilled crew and a crew that isn't as polished. It's not it's not about levels of commitment. it's it's actually about all of the things that I used to bang on about at agecroft about blade heights, catch timing, finish timing, sinking up the rock over. You can really I'm pulling see- really
1: hard, pulling really hard Aaron that that was the big thing.
0: It was the big thing. It is, and also pulling really hard, but you really can see it, and you can also see the the way that it it affects the way that the boat actually moves. And what I was kind of thinking was, um, if you look at the at the Henleys and the bigger regattas, and even some of the BBC stuff, a lot of the let's call them narrative tropes, a lot of the things that the commentators talk about are the things that the commentators always talk about. James Cracknell at some point will say, "Don't worry, the rowers are coming." Uh, God bless him. And he'll talk about, you know, the the pain kicking in at around about 700 meters. And it's all about who wants it most. And a lot of stuff that's actually sporting cliche that doesn't mean very much, but it might help rowing, um, even in the commentary that will be on YouTube for, for Henley Royal this week, if they actually explained, well, this is why they, this is how they get off the start you know you're picking up an eight which weighs a ton and this is how you do it and what you're looking for and these are the these are the technical points if you're watching on the bank you know what you're looking for at this point are, are clean catches or, or or good timing at particular points in the stroke and the other thing that i did a lot of was say if you're just down for the day with your with your family having a picnic and you like the look of this there are literally 30 or 40 clubs scattered around the entire compound. Go and find a coach and get yourself along to learn to row. So true. Yes. So I, I really enjoyed it. I hope that they will, they will let us both do it next year. Cause I think we should do a double at Durham next year. If Jack and Andy are, are still crying off. And, um, yes, I think our future lies in, in, in commentary.
1: I I think so too. I, I like the idea of this. I'm I'm going to have to give some commentating a go. Um, I'm I'm going I'm going to re-emphasise that point there, Aaron. So that I mentioned that uh, our dear listeners could, if they wanted to, buy the coffee. I think they should. E- I, I think they should. But even no. more importantly, I think our dear listeners could, if they want to, recommend to some of their friends. That they could go down to a rowing club and try and learn to row course yeah um because that way uh more rowers it's got to be it's got to be a good thing it's got to be a good thing
0: it has to be uh, we, we have to stop this this loss in the sport of of, of ten thousand a year that, that mark davis is talking about um i know we make it up by people coming through the university system but as we will come on to i have no doubt I think our university system, which, you know, provides us with people like Kath Bishop and Andy Hodge is in danger of becoming something of a, of an arms race. That's going to keep out the, the jobbing or the, or the curious person who just wants to have a go and see if it's for them.
1: Um, I think, I think we should come onto that, but let's talk about little regattas happening in the Thames Valley. Okay. Um, in this coming week.
0: Well, I, I I wanted to talk about one that's just been uh, actually, and I Go want on, I want to make the case, Lewin. And we could lose listeners, we could gain listeners. We are already trans warriors or something. I can't remember what it is, but we're, we're I think we're on the side of the angels currently. I want to make the argument that Henley Royal Regatta is no longer proper Henley. I want to suggest that women's Henley has taken on the mantle of being. Proper Henley. There you go. I'll get my coat. I'll see myself out. I'm
1: I'm I'm going yeah, I I enjoyed I thought I there was watching Women's Henley, which okay, right. We can't get around the fact that there's fundamentally not as much cash slossing around the production and is a production these days of women's henley as the As there is of Men Tenley. So, and it is Henley Royal, not Men Tenley. Henley Royal is the best produced rowing regatta TV program you can watch anywhere.
0: It's It's slick. It's very slick. It's slick. What is
1: also so good about it, I think, is you get shots, you get the down the course shots with like, the boat coming towards you you can see the bowball twitching around and just how difficult it is and talking about things that it's very difficult to explain to people who've never rowed and particularly who've never rowed at proper pace is just how close to an absolute flipping disaster you are
0: uh, on every stroke
1: on every single stroke that you and it's not just that you can be doing everything just right but it can still go completely tits because someone else get it wrong. So you have to trust trust anything up to eight other people not to get it wrong while you're bombing it down in this space that seems, it seems very big on TV, but it does actually seem remarkably small narrow when you're rowing down it Yeah, in between two lines of very, very solid, very unmoving wooden booms and i don't think anybody is very good at conveying the sheer terror and barely suppressed panic of rowing a rowing race and even when you're ahead and it's the last like 100 meters and you're just thinking don't Beg pardon, listeners. Don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. Just keep pull harder. Don't fuck it up. Pull harder. Don't fuck it up. Um, That, that is something that I don't think is well conveyed outside of the sport. Just what that it feels like downhill mountain biking without a hill.
0: Yeah. And that's why it's so addictive and why rowers, why it's so important. Why rowing is so important to rowers because there's literally, We've talked about this with regards to the production of rowing books. Rowing books have to describe rowing by analogy because rowing can only ever be like itself. And unless you've done it, you have no idea what it feels like to be moving in a boat that's moving that quickly, and you're the you are the people that are moving it. And when it's right, it is. It's a glorious song of speed and joy. And I think maybe with the common, and this is, you know, I, I put a tweet up after Durham saying, "Props to you know Camilla and Martin Crossy and Richard Phelps, you know who are who are smooth and knowledgeable and and know their clubs and know the coaches and the programs inside out." But it's a little bit like being a deep sea diver who knows their job is, or or, or a soldier who knows their job is inherently dangerous, but familiarity with it means that you just take for granted how exceptional it is to do something at that level. And that's kind of why I'm making the argument that I think Henley women's regatta is now proper Henley, whereas Henley Royal regatta has become this huge, massive, slick corporate high-end identity. So hear me out, Lewin, and you can disagree with me. It It, it is allowed, and you do it very well. Um, So, The reason why I love Henley Royal Regatta is this. You are a strapping six foot four person who's always played rugby and someone spots you in the gym at the University of Manchester, like a Graham Thomas or a Brendan Crean. You can never, ever have swung an oar in your life. You can start rowing in the September. And if you do everything right and you get the results that you need and all of the rest of it, you can actually find yourself lining up in the Thames Challenge Cup nine months later on the Tuesday or the Wednesday of Henley. There is literally no other elite sporting event in the world that is as meritocratic as Henley was and still is. So you can't pick up a tennis racket in September and be walking out on centre court at Wimbledon in nine months. It doesn't happen. You can't start booting your ball around and be in the Champions League final nine months later. So the the amazing thing about Henley and the reason why it is the shining palace on the hill that we all aspire to is if you have imagination and ambition and you love the sport of rowing, you can dream that with a bit of hard work and a bit of luck and some favorable results, you could go down the track. Okay. Now, the reason why I think that Henley women's has taken that mantle over is Henley Royal Regatta has become a massive thing and that's great. That's great for Henley Royal Regatta. It's great for the sport of rowing. The production values that it has are, are amazing. It is equal parts elite sporting contest. One of the highlights of the, the old English society summer season, along with Ascot, Glyndebourne, Wimbledon, all of those kind of things. Um, and it's a, it's a massive circus comes to town event, but, looking at it there are a lot of a and b crews from established clubs and established university clubs there are a lot of elite crews there's a lot of overseas clubs um but if you look at henley women's there's still that thing of you can do your learn to row in march you can start your first season in september and with a bit of look at the right club with the right results you can go down the henley track at henley women's in a way that's still viable that maybe isn't now a lot harder now that certain clubs certain performance centers certain institutions are essentially stockpiling elite club athletes in the same way that the USA and the germ and the russians stockpiled russian uh, german scientists after the second world war for rocket technology it's become an arms race of how many people can you attract to your club? Can you get an A crew, a B crew, a C crew through? I mean, Dan and props to him is over the moon because his A crew, his first eight, but then his B and C crew actually qualified in in qualifying last week. So the, so Durham have three three eights in the temple, and that's great oh, for Dan out. and that and that's great for their club. But if you get to the point where it's Oxford Brooks A versus Oxford Brooks B in the final of everything, then <laughs> that's not necessarily great for, for the other clubs who aspire.
1: And, and, and for me, that, that was the thing that I, I think I enjoyed the most about, um, Henley women's regatta was going through like a classic rowing nerd that I am, um, looking at, the results trees, and all mm. the winners. And yes, um, the aspirational academic eight plus was unsurprisingly possibly won by Oxford Bro- brooks University. And it was Oxford brooks versus Newcastle. But then if we scroll down just a little bit below that, the aspirational club um, Coxless four was won by Worcester RC B that's what i want to see and you, you can scroll up and down this and thames are there thames, are, thames rca absolutely but also just above that dart totness amateur roaring club El or, macro come
0: on or, or, or as the american commentators were determined to call it to call it dart Tortness, uh, like, like like some kind of flan bake uh, i presume and they were repeatedly talking about the Berkshire station, and the, um, and,
1: and, the, and the Worcestershire,
0: and the Worcestershire, Worcester, club. Worcester
1: yeah, boat I, club.
0: I've been to Berkshire. There are there are a lot of barks there, definitely. Um, but the whole Shire thing—it's it, a shh sound. It's not. We're not talking about Frodo and Sam leaving. Oh, oh Mister Frodo, sir, I've never been further than this. I've never left the Shire, sir. Good God. Um yeah and the other thing is, do you think I'm being unfair in saying that that's why I now consider I mean Henley Royal is still amazing, but Henley women's has now taken that mantle of 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 it's become proper in the sense of you can you can still justifiably aspire to it
1: in in that it has the it has the fundamental spirit of the club events. I think so of, of, of Henley, where it's not just the people who win aren't just a bunch of blokes who have got like employment prospects that are too good that they decided not to join the GB rowing squad. Um, yeah, I mean, I again, is this is part of what I don't. I don't think it's unfair, and it's and it's perfectly fair at the same time. Um, we have discussed the fact that increasingly Henry Rural gatter is a highly elite rowing bunfight with questionable recruitment practices by some of the uh, most successful clubs uh, with various kind of scholarship um, people taking a gap yard from Dartmouth University to row in, famous Putney clubs, shall we say, let's, let, let, let's, let's mince our words for a change.
0: I'm sorry, um, hay fever, t- uh, thames, thames. <laughs> oh, that hay fever is really kicking in.
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, I I think people would say to us, you're not, you're not thinking about this properly. You're not thinking about the fact that it's been like this for 40 years you know mm. we you know with the increasing it kind of training and equipment and history of rowing clubs and finding the best way to train people i think possibly also the decline of university rugby yeah i think there are a hell of a lot of very big lads who Decided. I'm not sure about this this whole rugby thing, such as some people who may have decided to um, not play rugby and go to the rowing club because rugby lot just weren't professional enough, and they weren't winning enough. That is, yeah, I, I I think it is harder and harder for someone who didn't start the sport in their very first year of university. You know, first fresher's fair. Mm. Or at school and isn't a elongated aerobic monster to actually make a dent in any of the events at Henley, which is why we get so excited when we see clubs like Hinsky um doing so well. But when I look, you know, that that is actually genuinely one of the most pleasing things about scrolling down you know the the j18 four plus won by the glasgow academy up against marlo rc you know that that's you know it wasn't just the usual suspects versus the usual suspects yeah which which i'm really enjoying and wycliffe my god they got in there wycliffe junior rca and um it, it, it was the yeah, where where was it? The Roycliffe versus Sydney RC and Wycliffe Junior um junior double, their A-boat beat the Sydney A-boat in the second round of the J18 doubles. It was a great hmm. race. They just went off the start like a school cat. And you know, it was right. If you're gonna win a race, do it off the start and and force them to try and com- come back through you. But you know, that was their that was Sydney RC, which like let's face it, if you were, you and I were going up against the Sydney RC women's double, we would not be thinking so yeah, we've got this, haven't we? We'd
0: no, be we'd, thinking, be, we'd be thinking this is gonna be we're gonna have to be good. Yeah, we're gonna have to be <laughs> we're, we're really gonna have
1: to be good if we're gonna win this one. Um and sort of like a couple of 18-year-olds uh from Wycliffe come along. You know, Wycliffe, you know, it's they're, they're a known school, they're they're a known club, I'll grant you. But they did the business mm. and they made it all the way to the final, and they were only beaten by Sydney Rowing Club B. Um, and you know, I I I love that. I I think that's brilliant.
0: I think that's yeah. And it's, um, I think that's one of the reasons I, I mean, it's not just that, um, the chair of Henley women's got in touch with us and said, um, I I love your fantastic podcast, which actually made me think she was trying to email someone else, uh, (laughs) um, and has invited us down to do a roving reporter brief at, at the next one. And she's actually going to come on and have a chat about Henley, about Henley. Um, women's and it, and where the regatta currently stands and what it wants to do in the future, which I'm really looking forward to this summer. Um, the question I want to kind of spin off into is, is this, is the stockpiling of elite athletes by clubs? Now, historically, you'd say that's something that's always been done. That's why Leander exists. That's what it essentially does. It stockpiles the best of the best to win at Henley and to provide rowers for the squad. That's literally its mission statement. Um, But when you look at someone like Kath Bishop, who found rowing and somewhat found herself at university, and when you look at someone like Andy Hodge, who by his own admission on this podcast was pretty useless at most things at school and found rowing and subsequently found himself on the traditional have a slice of pizza, pull 500 meters at a fresher's fair event, are we not in danger? We've had Rory Corpus on saying, if you haven't got these scores, don't bother go to Oxford Brooks. He
1: said it in a very, very nice way.
0: He said it in a very, very nice and polite way. He was basically trying to keep people from disappointment. I had a chat with Dan Armstrong. Um, you know, we both know Dan, great coach, currently assistant coach at Durham. His first eight, all eight of his male first eight rows for the Temple have an average of a sub 6.10 Erg score. Now that means that if that was what was needed for the Thames Challenge Cup back when we did it, I would never have rode at Henley. You would have done because you were under 6.10. Um, Hancock wouldn't have rode at Henley. Uh, That's fine. I was never an elite athlete. I was carried down the river by far better men than myself, as I still am to this day. But are we not are we not losing something if, if university programs, as Durham is becoming to compete with Oxford Brooks, as Oxford Brooks has become, as other universities are becoming, talking about recruitment, talking about subsidizing fees, talking about bursaries, talking about um, financial inducements for former junior internationals to come and study at a particular seat of learning, because that means they can build the rowing program into, into this prestigious books, um, regatta, Bucksheads, heads and Henley winning, you know, monsters. Are we not losing opportunities for people to find themselves in the sport? Not just like Andy Hodge did and go on to become Olympic champions, but we're just people who find the sport and really love it and end up being the backbone of the volunteerism that still actually keeps the sport going in this country. Cause they're, they're excluded. Cause they're not a six foot five aerobic monster.
1: Uh, yeah. Or has I it actually, always I actually, well, I, no, I don't think it's always been like this. I, I think, I think rowing has, I think university rowing and school rowing in particular um, have flourished in a way. And they have, okay, now, one thing I will say is that if you are an aerobic monster of six foot five and you naturally sit without having to force feed yourself at about 95 kg it's bizarre but there aren't a huge amount of sports out there that are naturally for you your arms and legs are probably a bit too long for rugby mm. you're probably a bit too heavy in the legs and a bit too barrel in the chest for swimming you're not going to make it short of starving yourself half to death as a runner although there are some runners I've met who are who would make exceptional uh, rowers. Uh, They have enormous oodles of power. Um, Again, short starving yourself half to death, you're not going to become a cyclist of any note. Rowing, I think, provides an outlet for a certain type of elite athlete body shape that might not be there. So I, I, I think we should remember that as much as we might be excluding some people we are also providing a home for others who might not have a natural home themselves but yes if we again as we've said before many times if we are looking to create a sport for all we should have a pathway for all and i think at the moment i think very much Henley women's does provide this. I'm not sure that Henley Royal regatta does provide that sense of you can be a damn good rower who never has even touched the sides of the GB scouts glass and win something very, very big. And I think there is room in the calendar for some kind of event that is a genuinely high status, desirable regatta in a highly glamorous location that could be that is below the level of the Henley Club
0: events which would which would attract in, and allow an, an outlet for for dedicated club yeah. no
1: not but not in terms of prestige but just in terms of that sort of natural kind of like you're not the most elongated wingspan, eight liter lung capacity etc cetera, etc cetera, that you're going to find in the Mulsey first eight
0: yeah
1: um it's it is going to be all about those you know it's going to be for the mark hancocks it's going to be for the ben Charleses, it's going to be for the really hard-working athletic guys who are prepared to put in the work and the time but are not genetically the best of the best of the best and i i i've, I've, I've had an idea about this which I think would benefit Henley. Right, okay. So you know qualifying races. Mm. Qualifying races are on the Friday before on Henley. On the Friday, yeah. Okay, and Henley starts on Tuesday. So yeah. that gives you a Saturday, a Sunday, and a Monday. And no, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday when you've got in the same part of the country, near a big river, near an international standard rowing lake, all the clubs, all the crews. And I think these days, it's a lot more clubs and crews that get knocked out in qualifying, that go through to qualifying. But they've all been training like gangbusters. They're all pretty good. They've all they're all when they did that time trial, they were, there's none of this like, look, if we just like back off the pace a bit, we can get into the B final and actually get a medal as opposed to going into the A final and coming sixth.
0: Mm.
1: Okay. Everybody going down the Henley track is trying to go as fast as they can.
0: Oh, they're nailing it. They're 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 nailing it
1: it. Yeah. Let's say what you have is, and this is important, you have a regatta on that weekend somewhere nearby, somewhere near to Henley, could be at Dorney, could be at Abingdon, which would just be a thousand meter regatta. Abingdon's a nice place, by the way.
0: Abingdon is a lovely place. Yeah. Where
1: you take all the people who haven't qualified, that's your entry standard. You've been to qualifiers, but you haven't qualified.
0: I really like that idea because I was wondering how you're going to make it work. Cause you will get someone like a Thames who goes, Oh, there's another regatta. We'll just, we'll just front load our monsters in and get some more pots." But if you actually, they're basically these are the crews who are aspiring to Henley and who might yet get there in the next year or two, or at some point in their rowing careers, they've been training all year. They've their been- whole, whole
1: year is based around getting that Friday slot. Yeah. Getting there and putting in their best 2,112 meters of rowing, and then it doesn't pan out. Yeah, I say, take those, I mean, because you're not just gonna get those, kind of like, your, hang on. You're not just gonna get your Peterborough second Coxless four, or your Maidstone and Victor Coxless four, who were literally top of the non-qualifying crews for the y Okay, you're gonna but you're going to get the guys who come from Japan, you're going to get the guys who come from Norway. Yeah, the the Norway School of Economics and Business Administration, they came over I think there should be a race. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, maybe it's just Saturday, maybe it's just Sunday, give people to actually go and get in there people are they must have got they must have had a plan it's like look we made it through we're not going home they must have had a plan to stay down there for another five days at least yeah they must have had a plan to have somewhere to put their boats they don't have to go back that first day so you can just say go and take your boats to dorney and we'll have a race there tomorrow dorney I i think it'd be a bit expensive
0: well, Dorney is very expensive. I like the idea of, of of Abingdon. It's a lovely it's a lovely bit of water. I'm sure that Henley would go. We can't possibly because we're still setting everything up. Although it looked pretty, it looked pretty damn spanking set up to me when I was looking at qualifiers on Friday. I think that is actually a a, a genius idea. I genuinely do. Um, I know that no one at British Run will have listened this far because we've been talking for all, for for all over an hour. But that is a genuinely outstanding idea because we've we've been there when you don't qualify and your season is over but you're at your fittest and you're most together as a crew and you actually want to go and race yes
1: you actually you, you you've been for and and you're looking at it and you you've come top of maybe four crews that were separated by three seconds yeah and you're just thinking if we'd have had that crew that made it the next one on the list if we'd have had it them alongside us yeah we'd have like we'd have been able to we'd have pushed on we just didn't know we had to push on and we thought we were giving it everything but we were only giving it 99 percent. yeah and then you take those guys and you've got you've got like crews that are like literally i think the y the top four non-qualifiers in the y-fold i I, sh- I should have this up in front of me but they were separated by five seconds
0: yeah that, it was super close. Most of the qualifying this year was really it was nip and tuck stuff.
1: That would make a pretty good series of races. You know, imagine knockout races where all the crews are separated by less than three, four seconds.
0: So basically, we we are shouting out to all of the clubs in in the Thames in the Thames Basin in between it's, it's not bad. It's
1: every single club. Yeah, think of it this way: it's every single club that goes to qualifiers but doesn't qualify yeah and I know. then let's go and let's go and race so i mean yeah wallingford hosts a regatta Marlowe hosts a regatta
0: that's what i mean Ooh, I, i'm, I'm shouting out to, i'm shouting out to every club that this is a this is an opportunity i don't know what you'd call it the the the, the didn't quite make henley regatta the unqualified the, regatta. The, the the unqualifiers regatta and it would become a part of the british cultural landscape in the same way that doggett's coach and, and badges become or, or you know um pudding races on boxing day or, or any of those kind of i think that is a fantastic a fantastic idea because let's face it if you're a rower you want to race and if yeah. you if you've done the work you want to race as well and and the other thing is as well Whisper it softly, having been in the position of being of having been beaten easily, which is at least four lengths, more likely five by Green Lake, and that's with them being kind to us. Um you might have more fun and closer racing going to the 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 didn't qualify regatta than you would just being cannon fodder on the Tuesday for someone who's treating you as a warm-up for the business end. Maybe. But I mean, obviously, I,
1: I I, yeah. I, I think, I think I don't understand. Right. No, actually, I'll tell you why it hasn't happened because a lack of
0: umpires. Lack of umpires, maybe. Also- a lack
1: of um- umpires and uh, a lack of kind of like the extraneous administration that's required. Hmm. And also you can't, you don't know who's going to rock up. You know, it's going to be like, hang on. We've got 24 hours to get a draw out. Less yeah, than 24 but that's,
0: hours. I mean, we live in a world of computers and spreadsheets. That's not so. that's not impossible. And the other thing is as well, you know, well, you don't know who's going to rock up. Well, looking at the qualifiers, there were some pretty fierce crews there from some pretty damn good clubs from around the world. Um, the thing about Henley Royal is it's never actually, apart from COVID, I think, it's never actually shrunk. The entries every year grow every single year yeah so you're always going to have people who don't make it and who don't make it through qualifying which is qualifying's a lottery anyway it's a massive lottery you know um i think that is a genius idea it's much better than my idea which was to make henley royal regatta more fun any crew from any of the competitions can go no fuck it i'm not going to be in the prince of wales i want to take on so and so from the thames challenge cup or someone from you know ollie ziedler can go no i'm not going to do the single skull. i want to race against ladies squads. so like a completely open free-for-all where you get to nominate you know like cross-pollinate they'll never allow that to happen but it was just like a fever dream in the midst of hay fever I just like the idea of a, a load of feisty ladies from Clare's Court going women's quad. No, bring on the Temple. Bring on all of your boys. We shall eat them for breakfast, metaphorically.
1: Um, I no. I mean, this is the thing. I don't. I don't think that anybody outside the Henley stewards should change Henley. I think whatever criticism of Henley you can make, I think it has proved time and time again that they know best simply because it continues to exist and continues to grow the yeah. past 150 years.
0: That's their job. They are the stewards of Henley. And if, yeah. if, it, if it sounds like we're carping or, or whatever, we're not, it's, it's an event that we, I think we both still get genuinely excited about. And we, you know, we love the tradition and the history of it. And, you know, we're, we we're, I think we're, we're pretty happy that we were part of it. Um, you know, I was small part of it, so when I'm talking about proper Henley, there is another story from Agecroft there, which we can go into at a different time about which Henley is proper Henley. And it involves someone. Let's pick an assumed name in case he's listening to this. Let's call him Mark Parsons. May have made a few comments about what was proper Henley and what actually wasn't. Um, So we can come on to that. But I, I like that idea of the people who don't get through on the Friday then go and race somewhere on the Saturday because... I, I think that's an opportunity that's begging for a club in the area to go and 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 Abingdon, a Marlow to go. Right, we'll have the 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 unqualifiers regatta, you know. On, the, you, on the you, I
1: I think it's brilliant. I mean, and you you don't need. I mean, you couldn't actually have two thousand one hundred twelve meters of water um because this is the thing you're saying. You know, it's like oh seven hundred fifty meters, but it feels longer. I think every race below. About two thousand five hundred meters feels the same distance. It's the same amount of terror, fear, and pain.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're probably right because you reach a point where you you've got that constant yin and yang chimp battle, rational voice, but this is too hard, I can't go on. You're fine, just keep going. It's too hard, I can't go on. You're fine, just keep going. You kind of you kind of find a rhythm where it doesn't actually hurt any more than it already does. So you just carry on to the line, and then it hurts. Yeah. make
1: any sense yeah um and and the difference between i don't think there's any difference between for 90 somewhere between 95 and 100 of rowing crews i don't think there'd be any difference between a 1000 meter race and a 2000 meter race yeah i think
0: you're right I, 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 I,
1: I think there are quite a few crews out there that could blatantly win a 5k race when they'd lose a 1k race. Yeah. But honestly, I think most clubs, if you if you take 10 crews and set them off for a 2k race, they're gonna have the same result for a a 1k race. But anyway, that ladies and gentlemen, essentially, you can stop listening. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Uh, we've been bothering you for about an hour, hour and 10 minutes. But there are lots of other things that I want to talk about. But these are these are like kind of slightly personal to me, and they're like you know, I don't know if they're going to be interest. But I did something very unusual for me that I haven't done in about nine months. Last weekend, Aaron, do you know what that was?
0: Was it cut your toenails? Because Haley's been talking to me on Messenger about it. But no. Oh, okay. Um, something else. I'm gonna
1: something have to. I'm gonna have to follow that up with Haley. Um, no, I I got out in a boat. I actually went rowing, not in cyberspace, not on Exr, which I recommend. It's um, great. I I got out in an
0: honest to god boat. How was it, Loon? And why why did it take nine months? And was it the PGCE?
1: Yes, it was the PGCE. But the PGCE is now, for better or worse, over and so i decided to use my sunday morning in a slightly productive fashion rather than filling out paperwork and i i got out on the river and it was brilliant and i did two outings one in a absolute rank novice quad which was obviously it was a bit clatterbang. bang obviously it was like wiggling all over the river because the pressure was coming in There was always clattering but actually it was going out on the river in a quad and it was really, really nice. And I loved it. And then I went out with Sarah, who'd been steering that quad and doing a bit of coaching. And I sat a bow in a double and she shot a stroke. And you know what mixed doubles are great. Mixed cruise. And it's the, yeah,
0: it's the future.
1: And we smacked it up and down. And here's the thing that double we went out in this was a revelation had a um it had a rudder i could foot steer it i could foot steer a double oh so you can just you can literally and we need this in our river because our river is bendy you can just it it's kind of like let's carve around this turn It, it was it was like it was like grand prix racing it was absolutely flipping brilliant
0: that's an interesting one in a double. I don't think I've been in a steer double. It's usually pull harder stroke side pull
1: inside. Yeah. No, no, we 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 can we it was it was great. Um I'm I'm gonna do I'm gonna go out in that double a lot more because we do have a very wiggly river. And when you're in a double, there's a lot of like, right, pressure on the right. Yeah. Um and and this was no, it's just like I'm just gonna turn my foot. And i'm going to go around albeit i did discover that that kind of like wiggling my foot from side to side in a double does really throw the balance off
0: are your feet really that big
1: uh, no it's the thing is because you you can't just move it's not just your foot you're moving because that'd be heel whole, steering it's like yeah. the whole bottom of your leg which it's is the whole bottom of the leg know, in, in my in my case that's probably about that's a, that's a, that's a good like 10 it's, 15 kilos of ham
0: it's a it's a decent weight yeah yeah We're not exactly, neither, neither of us are necessarily um light in the leg department no, um no. yeah so yeah that actually that would because i mean doubles when they're when they're up and running are, are lovely boats but they can they can be what's the technical term a little twitchy at times so they're very be- responsive to what you're doing well welcome back it's nice to have you back on the river no
1: it was brilliant it was it was great it was very um that's why i'm slightly pink in the face and in the upper arms i have got okay. like a little bit sunburn but i i shall live and was you know it was uh actually yeah it was a really good one
0: fantastic well shall we leave it there and we'll come back to the other things that you you might wish to talk about at uh, uh, another time
1: what like and, fate uh, henley in, in cyberspace
0: no fake With- <laughs> henley in cyberspace yes the exr henley track is an interesting <laughs> one i've seen it very interesting it's
1: brilliant aaron it's absolutely fantastic they've just taken like the greatest r- stretch of rowing water in the world in the english-speaking world let's put it that way and they've just said it's not good enough
0: it's not good enough. you need let's- some cliffs Let's tweak it. Let's add some cliffs. It needs
1: needs some high speed segments and it needs like a shortcut under the barrier. It it needs to have a stream under the barrier um, that you can just like come out onto the main drag with. And uh, I love it. Well, yes, we'll
0: come come back to that. But I think we've covered quite a lot of ground. um, And I think we're both looking forward to Henley and seeing what happens. Agecroft have got two, they've got an A and B in the Thames. So, uh, so well done them. I hope they I saw well. that.
1: I was quite impressed by that. A he and B impressed.
0: An A and B. So Dennis has not yet given up on his dream of winning the Thames because obviously, you know, yes, he has won the Brit, but he wants a proper medal, not like one of these ones with four O's. It's only really real if it's got eight O's. Uh, he said, getting his coat and running. Um, Dan's got three of his eight in the in the temple, uh, which is good. I think that stunned him slightly. But, you know, nevertheless, let's see how it plays out. And there, there are a lot of overseas competitors this year as well. So let's see how that plays out.
1: Again, and, you know, I. some people would say, oh, that means it means domestic clubs can't win anything. But then if you have a highly desirable destination, I, you probably shouldn't be it's like going out of your way to keep people out
0: yeah I think so I mean that's the point about the the unqualifiers regatta you're never going to want for entries because the the, because people apply literally apply to Henley the applications have grown every year exponentially that's why the qualifiers are now as crammed as they are
1: which is which is quite nice really rowing it's great
0: rowing is great and that's a good place to leave it
1: indeed ladies and gentlemen uh thank you very much for listening and from our hay fever suffering, um, compatriots, we wish you farewell. Goodbye.